Hey listeners, Laurie here. Um, this week we did not have time to watch movies or record an episode. Uh, as I had mentioned on our Haunted House episode, we recently started moving and that's kind of taken up all our time with painting and packing and all that stuff. So we just haven't had time to do the podcast, unfortunately. Uh, so since I didn't want to miss a week, uh, if I could help it, I instead decided to dig through and find one of the bonus episodes we recorded but have yet to release. Um, this was originally planned as sort of the pilot for uh, an ongoing series of bonus content we wanted to record for the Patreon account that we still haven't bothered to set up. So rather than releasing this as a bonus episode on a random day this is just going to be this week's episode it's uh there's still plenty of content there it's an hour long we really get into it um i i quite like the discussion we have but yeah so if you notice that the format's a little different this week that's why and don't worry we'll be back uh next week with our regularly scheduled program but in the meantime i hope you enjoy the pilot episode of Gutterflex. What do you consider to be unusual? Oh, I don't know. What do you recommend? Have you ever had an Egyptian feast? Why, that would be fine. That would be perfect. Let's do this. What the fuck are we here for? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first episode of a new podcast, Gutterflix. That is a joyous name that uh, my cohort here came up with when I was unable to think of anything. Uh, I'm your host, Lori Alex, and I am joined on today's episode by Arya Sini of Queer Horror Cult Fame, the podcast fame, that we yeah. do together. Yeah, hey, we've got fans. People like us. Apparently. Yeah, so it's a thing. To believe. Um, in fact, we've been getting enough engagement and downloads, at least, for Queer Horror Cult that we've decided it's time to get that Patreon going. And, Give it a try. The um, yeah. big thing we want to do for that for subscribers is have a, a good deal of bonus content so mm -hmm. you feel like you're getting your your money's worth so to speak so we're gonna do the first episode of this as its own thing just put it up put it out there and you'll be able to if you like this you'll be able to get more of that um once you pay us money mm -hmm. that's a blunt way to put it <laughs> yeah and you know with any luck we'll get a couple of subscribers and cover our monthly hosting fee or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of the main goal Aim here, isn't high. it? Just to uh, 
it'd be nice to at least have this podcast come off as a wash. Yeah, because I mean, we're like doing it for fun neutral. anyway. Yeah. Um, but so this is uh, something that I bandied about as an idea for a while, and uh, I almost started this as its own podcast just entirely, but decided it's similar enough and it just kind of fits nicely in with our whole queer horror cult brand. And also, I, I have a real uh, knack for starting things when I barely finished the last thing. And uh, I'm going to work on breaking that habit. So nice. I'm going to make sure that I keep putting the focus and energy in queer horror cult that it deserves and not just split my attention. Not that that was the plan mm-hmm. or that I thought that would happen. It's never but the plan. Exactly. Yeah. It just happens. But basically, the whole point of this is, as I've mentioned on queer horror cult before, I am obsessed with this you can't even say genre, but this collection of movies that was referred to as the Video Nasties. Um, This is a list of movies that were causing controversy in the UK and were banned in the 80s. And I've been obsessed with it ever since I heard about it. I've made it my goal to collect and see all of these. I'm doing pretty good at that. I got 70 of 72 so far. Mm. That's not too bad. I'll say. Um, I'm I'm eyeballing some of my favorites, like uh, Vinegar Syndrome or Severin or Arrow or whoever to uh, release the last two. So get at us with Psycho Puppet and I Miss You Hugs and Kisses. Never heard of either of them. weird fucking title for any movie, let alone (laughs) a video nasty. That's true. But I also find that podcast where it's just one person talking to the void. You have to be charismatic to pull that off, and I don't think I quite have that... (laughs) <laughs> that sense of radio charisma. I'm, I'm still new to this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to be mixing this up with uh, co-hosts and guests when I can. Um, Aria here has graciously agreed to sit in on the first one because, mm-hmm. uh, well, hell. So I'm here. I'm it's around. fitting. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you stand to potentially make some money off the back of this, too. Exactly. Um, contribute. Yeah. But yeah, and anyway, so this is a Video Nasty podcast where my plan is to go through all of the movies on that cursed list. But then I thought, I looking at the list because some of the movies on it are just, why the fuck was this ever banned? And there's a bunch of movies that are super controversial that were never connected to this list that mm. I think would be great to talk about. So I'm planning to sort of expand past Video Nasties and just make this a podcast about extreme, fucked up, controversial, and just... As you would put it, cursed. Yeah. <laughs> I would. Yeah, movies that just sort of fit that bill. Like, movies that are some of my favorites. Um, ones that just made me go, how the fuck did this get made? And everything in between. Plus, I'm hoping to have guests on in the future to talk about some of their favorite or most memorable or most uh, hated for the impact it had on them, but mm. uh, controversial movies. Yeah, I think that would be a cool feature is bring someone on and be like, okay, what's the movie you saw that broke your brain? Exactly. Whether or not it was banned or considered controversial by many. Yeah, hey, hey, doesn't necessarily matter. You could be the one person in the world that thinks it's controversial, but it was controversial to you and it did some stuff to your head. Yeah, we want to hear it. So I want to hear about it, yeah. Exactly. So, big question, what is a video nasty? I don't know, why don't you tell me? (laughs) If we're going to do it like that, I don't think I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the expert. You're the mm. one who He's obsessed. kind of grew up with the residual sort effects of, of tangen- it, I guess. Tangentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
it all started in 1979 with the advent of home video. That's when VCRs, uh, VHS, Betamax, or some other format that fell by the wayside were became a, a home consumer uh, product. And uh, before this time, the only way to really see a movie was at the theater. So a movie had to be playing at a theater, whether it was a repertory theater or just like first run or whatever. But at the theater was the way you saw a movie, and the only way you could see it at home is if it was aired on TV. Um, that was it. So you just saw what was appropriate for television, what they thought the networks that could afford these films thought would screen to an audience well, and there wasn't much else you could do to see these movies. And home video changed that in that people could then take their favorite movies into their home and watch it as much as they want. And it was a cheaper format. Like, it's not like, oh, you need a projector and some film reels. Let's get you set up to do your home theater thing. Um, no, it was cheaper. And I say that in giant air quotes because, you know, movies were retailing for, like, 50 pounds a piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, VCRs were... And that's in, like, back-then money. Yeah, 50 pounds in back-then money. That's, like... I mean, 50 pounds now compared to our shit-ass Canadian well, dollars. That'd be, like... like close to 100 bucks. Yeah, they've been 80 to $100 in 1979 money. And that's just... That's fucking wild Obscene. yeah so i uh, count my blessing being in the blu-ray and dvd age yeah the five dollar blu-ray yeah age. the dollarama heist yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but since this was a different format a bit of a cheaper format and uh new and exciting almost like this sort of pioneer thing a bunch of cheap labels cropped up that started putting these movies out independent labels they weren't your big uh mgms or 20th century foxes although they did get into the video game too of course but all kinds of companies popped up, like Wizard Video, um, Palace Video, um, Intervision is one that's actually still around, thanks mm -hmm. to Severin releasing things with the Intervision label, as is Vestron Video. But there are these companies that just bought whatever they fucking could and put it out on video. Um, and the videos weren't regulated like movies were in the theaters and all that. It, in theaters, they had the BBFC, which did the ratings and censoring of movies to make them appropriate. That was like the British MPAA mm. kind of thing. Um, there was nothing for video, so they could just put out whatever the fuck they wanted and sell it to whoever the fuck they wanted it in these independent chain stores, and there were tons of them. Free market, baby. Supply and demand. But apparently it's a bad thing when it goes unchecked. <laughs> really? In this case, it was. It started a whole moral panic because since it was completely unregulated, people could put whatever the fuck they wanted on video, and they definitely did. And the first outcry about the controversy of these fucked up movies that were being put out was actually over the packaging. You've got, like, Driller Killer. The cover of that was the scene when he sticks the power drill in this dude's face, and there's just blood pouring out, and there was just a nice glossy photo of that mm. on the cover, on the shelf for whoever to find um, Cannibal Holocaust had some good old gut munching going on on the front. But who and will think of the children? That was exactly it. Who thought of the children? Not these guys. And um, so regulation was needed for the packaging. But then soon enough, complaints started rolling in about the movies themselves. And that's what landed them in hot water because the uh, most vocal voice of this moral panic as it started was Mary Whitehouse, who is this lady that was just like up Thatcher's ass, or Thatcher oh. was up her ass. I don't know. They they they, they a, bonded a, like human centipede, but Ouroboros of head in one another's anuses in a circle. That is like 
it's it's hard to come up with a pitch worse than a human centipede for that's really disgusting and i think you just fucking nailed it boris oh man wow (laughs) i'll stick my face in your ass and you stick your face in my ass it brings a whole new meaning to pooping back and forth forever and that with that that concludes this podcast it's been ruined forever flicks guys gutter flicks um no people seem to think that she was doing right by whoever the fuck she thought she was protecting i think she sucks out loud as a fan of these movies and uh you know, she had the gall to say these movies were obscene and banned, and when people asked her what she thought was bad about them, she plainly said, like, oh, I've never seen one, but I know what's in them, and they're bad, so screw you. Um, and it didn't help that the one of the distributors putting out Cannibal Holocaust sent her a copy just to sort of, like, <laughs> poke the fucking bear a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Just like, hey, let's see what we can... Uh, what we can have happen, get some free publicity. And then, of course, it ended up with movies being put on this list the dpp it was the oh god i i used to have notes for this but <laughs> there's this a uh, group called the dpp the something protection police i don't know the dick party patrol i can't remember but they were in charge of prosecuting things under the obscenity act mm-hmm. and they were arguing that these movies were obscene they couldn't be classed as art they couldn't they were dangerous and they had to be banned and so that's where this list came from. They made this list of 39 movies that were prosecutable. Like, these are movies that they prosecuted and people got in fucking shit. They got fines for it. One distributor went to jail for 18 months because he put out one of these movies and wasn't allowed to. Um, and then there was a further 33 movies that were also on the list, but they had to be taken off when they realized they couldn't prosecute them for obscenity. Most famously, Evil Dead, because the... Um, distributor went to bat for it and said no okay you want to take us to court we'll see you in court and like sam raimi himself fucking showed up and argued it and won that yeah you may not like it but you can't call this like illegally obscene right and uh nonetheless that created this uh sort of holy grail of movies that the one thing that they had going through them was they offended the shit out of somebody and somebody that we don't like yes and they should uh therefore not be available to anyone in the public and the concern was that they were morally damaging there were kids that could see these movies one guy literally claimed that if a dog sees a video nasty it could corrupt the dog's mind and make it go like all cujo and stuff oh so it's like son of sam but sam is the video nasty and the dog is the killer it's like a reverse son of sam i love it yeah except with a videotape yeah son of sam meets the ring yeah 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 (laughs) wow and so now it's pretty safe to say that this does follow the no publicity is bad publicity kind of thing there no such thing as bad attention some of these movies are such cheaply made garbage that they would have been forgotten long ago if Mm -hmm. it wasn't for the notoriety being on this list got um like who the f- I guess there are Jess Franco purists out there, but who the fuck would like willingly be like, hell yeah, Devil Hunter? This movie <laughs> rules if it wasn't for the fact that it gained notoriety for being banned. Or like Cannibal Terror is one of the most inept movies I've ever seen. That's the cannibal movie shot in like the woods in France, and a bunch <laughs> of Euro dudes have like war paint on. And it's like, I can see that dude's mustache and like circumcised dick poking out from under Jesus. his. <laughs> it's uh, it's wild. Um, 
but there's this notoriety that now the original tapes that were banned, because when they confiscated the tapes, they were hauled off and burned. Mm, um, yes. The original tapes that were banned, they go for ridiculous prices on eBay. And uh, so they're a bit of a collector's item. Um, I'm not quite that Hardcore. ridiculous with it. Uh, I do not have the room or the space to, or the will to collect videotapes. They're just too big, clunky, and, you know, there is a nostalgia to them, sure, but... I kind of like seeing these HD, you know, scans of the original negatives of these movies, even if it sort of plays their hand a bit where it's like, oh, it's so crystal clear. I can see how cheap this effect looks and all that. It's like, hey, who cares? At least I can see what's happening. Yeah. Um, but this uh, moral panic sort of died down briefly in the late 80s, but it got whipped up again in the early 90s when I was living there. I distinctly remember this. Uh, there was a particularly awful crime that occurred. Um, it was uh, the murder of Jamie Bulger. It's, uh, I'm sure anyone in the UK who is even remotely alive at the time will be familiar with this or will that name will ring a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those that don't know, maybe some North American audience listeners that weren't privy to this, Jamie Bulger was a two-year-old kid who was abducted and killed by two ten-year-olds. And they blamed, as soon as they uh, this happened, they caught the kids, they thought, oh, how could this happen? What could drive kids to do this? And the culprit, apparently, was Child's Play 3. Because uh, there was a copy in one of their... I think it was like their their dad's or stepdad's house or something that, you know, the kid even admitted, like, I've never seen that movie kind of thing. <laughs> it's just that the someone related to them liked horror movies, and this just whipped this uproar up completely again that the cruelties these kids did, no one could ever imagine this without these corrupting videos mm-hmm. placing those ideas in their heads. And uh, I'm not here to argue influence on, on young kids so much as... Uh, you know, they need a scapegoat, and that happens again. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a... I want to... Crap, I can't remember the name of it, but there was a... I want to say the Dunblane Massacre, but I could be mixing that up. But there was a shooting, like a mass shooting that happened. and Where was this? In the UK In well? the UK, yep, around the same time. And they blamed Rambo, because the guy had a bandana when he was shooting. You know, like oh, Ram- wow. Rambo's trademark bandana. And, yeah, that's... that's um, uh... That's pretty incriminating. It's one of those things where it came in a couple of ways, but it was the same moral panic as uh, before. And, you know, it was just, there was all these problems in society. Like, we got Thatcher-era poverty and, like, class strife, um, crime, anything that they could pin these movies on. It's just like, oh, it corrupts people, leads people to Satan, turns people into hooligans and all that kind of stuff. And it's just... It seems so fucking quaint now when a movie like Toby Hooper's The Fun House, which is, you know, like a fun little slasher that I believe was released uncut with a 15 rating there after the fact. When a movie like that is considered obscene and marked for prosecution because watching it might warp you in ways that you will never come back from. So that's basically the video nasty scare in a nutshell. It is totally batshit. It's pretty buck wild and i have a fondness for these movies on this list as well as movies that weren't on the list but you look at it and it's like why wasn't this movie ever banned i know in queer horror cult we watched beyond the darkness for our necrophilia episode that's the one where um the guy like Im- 
his uh, oh, wife yeah, dies yeah. and he embalms her yeah, and then yeah. just like keeps killing people because he's a dick. Um, that one, it was of the time period and just kind of had that gross sheen of uh, nastiness to it that it seemed like a perfect candidate, but no one complained about it, so it so never got greater. added. Yeah. Whereas you had some directors who, to purposely drum up publicity for their movies, would report their own movies mm-hmm. or do mm-hmm. various things because they recognized that this would give it that certain amount of like cult appeal, that forbidden fruit that... Like sending a Mary see. Whitehouse uh, Cannibal Holocaust or the infamous Video Nasty Snuff. Mm-hmm. Or uh, didn't... Was it Cannibal Holocaust, the director that like protested his own screening? Or, no, which one was it? Um, I, th- I think, so. I think uh, Snuff, they hired protesters. That was it. Uh, this one was in New York, yeah. but the furor kind of carried over into England because it was bandied into New as. England? Yeah. <laughs> it was bandied as being like a real, genuine murder on film for entertainment, mm-hmm. even though it's so unconvincing that <laughs> if you actually see the movie, there's no way you can fall for it. But uh, I will get into that plenty when we come to Snuff on the list because we will cover it on one of the episodes but without further ado um i figure we should uh start in with the oldest movie on the list the Mm. sort of it's is classic a a fair word for it we just watched this oh there's a whole debate with sides and arguments to be had there i'm sure that's a complex question (laughs) okay (laughs) well we were talking about hirsch gordon lewis's blood feast from 1963 it uh came out july 6th to completely change the face of what could be shown in horror cinema and just in cinema in general yeah yeah it was uh it is the first gore flick the first splatter flick it's, um, basically we've got Herschel Gordon-Lewis teaming up with his buddy, David F. Friedman, these two guys that made exploitation flicks together. Like, we were watching that documentary, mm-hmm. and you saw some of the sexploitation stuff he was doing. Like, yeah, those nudie cuties. Nudie cuties. <laughs> the nudist um, camp. I still find it hilarious oh, that yeah. nudist camp film is a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they were looking to be good, uh, exploiteers and what could they do that hadn't been done before so they made up a list and on that list was gore no one's ever done gore like a sex film and we're not talking like like a sexual violence Mm -hmm. explicitly we're talking about like let's do one of these quick and dirty sexploitation flicks but instead of sex and nudity yeah grind it out instead of sex and nudity gore and violence is going to be the stuff that we film like you would film porn. The exploit. And, um... They really fucking go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing you... Whether or not you want to call it a classic, it's like, you can't say they didn't commit. Yeah, they, they did exactly what they set out to. So this movie was made for real cheap in Florida. And these guys, uh, when it was done, they put it into a drive-in. And, and then the they decided all weekend they weren't going to check on it because they thought it might flop. They didn't want to to jinx it or whatever or bum themselves out, so they weren't going to do anything about it. And then as they were driving out of the small town that they're showing it in, they hit a traffic jam that was the line of cars going to see Blood Feast. It was just stretched down, like so many people just piled in to see this movie, and 
it blew up overnight, basically, like right off the bat. Went viral before going viral was a thing. Yeah, it was like the drive-in version of going viral. That's a great way to put it. So they, of course, doubled down on it because uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, I think, asked someone um, what they thought of it, and they described it as vomitous. So he immediately ordered a bunch of airline barf bags and had Blood Feast printed on them, like a little ad thing, (laughs) and then handed them out for advertising. Um, David F. Friedman even uh, tried to file an injunction against his own movie in Florida, just uh, and it drummed up more business. It's mm-hmm. uh, well, we watched this documentary called Herschel Gordon Lewis: The Godfather of Gore. This one's directed by Frank Henenlotter, who did uh, Basket Case and Frankenhooker and, and other lovely titles. And it op- it opens with a quote from Joe Bob Briggs, where he describes Herschel Gordon Lewis as being part carny, part filmmaker. And I feel like that these tricks they did to sell the movie, it's the perfect example of that sort of carny kind of mm-hmm. like showmanship. And like, yeah, with a certain amount of like improvisation, you're kind of doing it on the fly, making use of what you yeah. have. Very. Very sly and slick. It feels like they really are flying by the seat of their pants mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And, uh, well, Herschel Gordon Lewis and David Friedman, they started as uh, just making movies together. Um, and the crew was literally them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, Gordon. Yeah, familiar. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's very familiar. It's nice to know there are people who had success doing our model mm-hmm. of uh, filmmaking. But yeah, so Lewis would direct it and run the camera. Friedman produced and did the sound. And that was their on-set crew. And um, yeah, they somehow fucking managed to create a whole subgenre of movies out of doing this. Um, they, When this was a success, they just leaned right in. And there's a large number of these super gory exploitation flicks out of these two that uh, culminate in one that I barely had the stomach to sit through uh, Mm. called uh, The Gore Gore Girls. Tried to watch the... I watched it a second time after, like, it had settled and uh, I had a chance to see it again. And it was just like, oh, I still don't know if I can do this. Wow. Because it's cheap. It's Mm -hmm. like the effects are cheap. You know how the effects are done, but it's just so overbearing in how it does everything. Like, it's just like the whole let's have the camera focus in Fulci style and get into it. It does that to such an extreme level that Mm. it's like, you know, watching someone getting their face meat cleavered apart. And then it's just like, this is a three minute scene with the camera just lingering on this. What's clearly a bad puppet. Mm Mm-hmm with a bunch of bolognese sauce on it kind of thing. <laughs> but you're watching and after a while, you're just like, okay, whoa, the room's starting Ooh. to spin a little. But that's getting ahead of myself. So Blood Feast, you had seen this before, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, did you remember much of it when we went to watch it? I remember the gist of it. Yeah, okay, okay. So like when you're watching it, it was kind of a familiar mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, it's 67 minutes long. And I've seen it probably more times than anyone should actually watch Blood Feast because it's one of those, oh, this invented gore movies. You should see it. So just showing it to everyone mm-hmm. one at a time. Like we put it on at a party, I think, the first time you saw it. Was that this one? It might have. I, I want to say yes, it might have been, but I might be mixing it up with another one. Mm-hmm. That was also silly and bloody. Yeah. So uh, what have we got for a plot? So we have some... Uh, American town. I think it's set suburb. in Florida, just oh, like it's uh, taking place. 
Yeah, it's um, somewhere probably in Florida, and yeah. there is, I don't know, and there are some scary killings happening. There are yeah. women being brutally murdered in public places, I think, for the most part, although some... The first homes. one is, she. it looks like she's in, like, a motel or something. Yeah. Um, but then we get people, yeah, I guess anywhere, really, just yeah. all, everywhere. Murders well, are happening Because at one point they say that they're public murders, mm-hmm. but they say that after we see the first murder, which is very much behind closed doors. So right. it's kind of funny how they, well, she's not the first murder as far as the story's concerned. But she's the just the one we come in we on. See. Yeah. And uh, so these bodies are being found, and they're obviously dead but they're each missing a different body part Mm -hmm. and so they don't know what this this guy's up to what his deal is whoever's killing these people and um then we are i guess introduced to our main characters where there's a woman who is seeking to was it a birthday party she's throwing i think it's birthday party but for her daughter it's a party for her daughter yeah it almost the way she's dressed i almost thought like weird like kind of like suburban white trash debutante yeah, ball kind yeah. of thing. And um she so she's seeking a caterer and she goes to Mr. Ramsey's the what is it exotic catering? Yeah, Ramsey's exotic catering. Fuad Ramsey's. Fuad Ramsey's. And of course as they said um in the documentary when they're making it they called him Fuad Ramsey's cuz that was the most Egyptian name they could think of. And it's like what they're basing this on? I don't fucking know. Like, they just seem to take, like, a stock pharaoh-sounding name. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's definitely, like, super orientalist. Yeah. Like, I almost think we should have brought our, our friend who's, uh, her mom's from Egypt. And yeah. And should have brought her on as a cultural consultant. At some point when uh, she's on the show, we'll have to well, get, we, get we, an opinion on Blood Feast. Yeah. 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 So, um, the woman, the mom, she says, hey, I, you know, I need to cater her. I've heard someone told me you're good. What can we do? And then he's like, well, we can do a, we can do an Egyptian feast. She just goes, oh, that's perfect. My my daughter is a student of Egyptian history. I thought, oh, that's beautiful. Because I'm like, is is that, like, that would have been so cool. I would have been so that as a Her kid. daughter is a student in Egyptian history. Um, we've got that cop who's like, you know how much of an Egypt, a bug for Egyptian stuff I am, right? And it's like, what? Where the fuck are these guys coming from? Yeah, I'm it's like, like that's. The, I'm like, is this like? It's a, the new yo-yo. Is this a mini department in like the hi- Department of History and Classics? Is this yeah. like, like Middle Eastern and North African studies? Like yeah. Egyptian? Like I would have. Uh, yeah, first I was like, okay, who's offering this as yeah. a program, and why aren't I taking it? Yeah. Because as a kid, I was like obsessed with mummies, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be an archaeologist or an Egyptologist. <laughs> I thought you were going to say or... I wanted to be a mummy. <laughs> well, eventually, I guess, but I had other <laughs> aspirations before then. And so, yeah, suspending a little bit of disbelief. And yeah, it turns out their idea of, of being a student of Egyptian culture is attending a weekly lecture. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That some guy puts on is like, oh, I hope it, to see you next week. Yeah, it's interesting because at first you think it's like a regular college class, but mm-hmm. then it's just like. Thank you for coming to my lecture. See you next week. Like, I, hope I hope to, to see, see you, next, you week. next week. And then the assortment of people, it's like, there's some dudes in suits. There's people from the gallery. It's like, who are these people? Mm-hmm. Like, this is an interesting, well, you know, the real story is these are the people they could round up to play the audience in the lecture. And so they had to make do, whether we're supposed to think they're college kids or just people that went to... Uh, super, super had a, a bug, bug for Egypt. There was a lot of them. Yeah. 
And so in this lecture, we learn about Ishtar, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ancient Egyptian goddess, and about how barbaric, I guess, they, is kind of the way mm-hmm. they play it, the, the practices were. And barbaric in the contemporary terminology, not barbaric in the like classical Greek meaning, just like not Greek. Yeah. So, because that would have been around that time. And the, this, this Ishtar cult that would have however many 12 or some young virgins that would be involved in the temple and this cult of Ishtar. And then when the feast of the goddess would come around, they would sacrifice these virgins, cut up their bodies and cook them and feed them to the people. And then the goddess herself would emerge. Yeah, it was like the blood feast of Ishtar. And, yeah, uh, the Egyptian feast. Yeah, I love it. She, she's saying it like that because that's how Fouad Ramses has it. And he's got those huge fucking caterpillar eyebrows like bushy bushy yeah because he's supposed to be an old guy Mm -hmm. but it's clearly someone that's the same age as every other adult in the cast just with flower in the hair but also in the eyebrows (laughs) and the eyebrows are always like arching up and down whenever he talks he says do you mean an egyptian feast with the eyebrows going up on each emphasis of the of the word (laughs) um it rules like that it does. that slaps so hard <laughs> it does it's uh you can't see that scene where she's there booking him as a caterer without just losing it mm-hmm. at the uh, exchange between them with how it's acted and then also how it's framed because he keeps leaning closer and closer and the camera's like a step behind him the whole time where he like leans out of frame then the camera follows <laughs> and then he's just getting lower and closer to her with his eyebrows going higher the up his head egyptian feast <laughs> It's really... It's like, oh, this will be like nothing anyone's ever done before. Have done it before, but not for 5,000 years. years. And then what's that moment when, like, he just seems to mesmerize her slightly, where he's just staring, and then it does, like, the straight-on shot of his eyes, and he's just like, you will hire... Or it's like, I will cater your party. And then she's like, yes, that will be fine. It's like this weird, like, mesmerizing thing that's, like, two lines long, and then they fucking snap out of it, and it never comes up again in the whole movie. See you two weeks from Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so... Oh, sorry? Oh, I was going to just keep... Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we have the cop and the birthday girl, the party girl, I don't know, yeah. attend this lecture on Ishtar. And there's... They're an item, I think. Like, yeah, they're in a relationship. And, and so he's investigating the murders. There is He makes no connection between yeah they're they're talking entirely about people being dismembered and certain body parts being used and taken and no connection is made to the current uh and we get situation at hand and while this kind of crime spree would be like notable and like shocking anywhere we get the impression this is kind of a smaller town so you and, think they, their whole lives would be, like, in disarray yeah. because this doesn't happen here? Well, that's how they're acting about it, where it's just, like, they're straight up on the radio. It's, like, all women. We need to get this warning to every woman in town mm-hmm. to uh, stay in at night and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and it, you see the, the conversation. I think the daughter, she's like, oh, you know, it's, it's hard to be happy when there's this terrible murderer doing all this shit. Yeah. And the mom's like, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the cop attends the lecture, and, and you're right. He makes no connections at this point between the the brutal slangs mm-hmm. and this very graphic... Death cult. Death cult thing. Um, 
But in the meantime, they're getting nowhere with this uh, case, and they are clearly just throwing their hands up in the air like, we're fucking stumped. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, uh, the bodies are piling up. Like, we have uh, the movie opens with uh, the woman getting into the bathtub, and then um, Flawed Ramsey's standing over her with the machete mm -hmm. and he chops at her with no foley whatsoever he's just we see her hacking on her yeah. and stuff like that and it's just completely silent and it's well there's like paused. there's like a weird soundtrack playing yeah there's a music soundtrack <laughs> sorry but there's yeah. like a, no diegetic sound mm -hmm. going on um and then it cuts to show a red paint covered mannequin leg with a bunch of meat hanging out of the end like it's clearly a stiff mannequin leg and the blood is that like 60s mm -hmm. super red like it looks like that that uh, acrylic paint you get in art class kind of yeah. thing. Um, but it's got a bone and rum butcher shop meat hanging yeah, out so of the Yeah, so we went for it. Yeah. And they there tried. is a ton of blood. And so it's not really guilty of being any cheaper than the blood effects that you would see in a lot of this ilk mm -hmm. kind of thing. Just um, all the time. Yeah. Um, that like stage blood or whatever. Yeah. That looks way better on stage than on camera. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a fun fact. I didn't know that for the longest time. I can't remember where I... I heard that or, or read that but um might have even been like tom savini talking about it. i don't remember but oh, very well it's be. one of those things where the reason that movies from like the 70s and even into like the early 80s you'd see ones that have that really hokey looking blood it was because that was like meant for stage plays and in real life it read really well and you know you could it's like this crimson red you could see from the back of the audience and all that but it f can photograph weird under certain lighting things. Like, sometimes it looks kind of iffy and just a little too bright, and other times it looks like it's just paint. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, Very so... opaque. Yeah. Almost kind of, like, salmon-colored yeah. times. But we uh, get that uh, lovely scene in his crime scene, the one that this movie's kind of infamous for, and you'll recognize it if you've seen Serial Mom by uh, John Waters, where he goes into this uh, woman's house, apartment, bedroom. Yeah, so I guess not many public killings for someone who's only doing public killings. Well, we see that couple in the park where you Yeah, we do get woman. that. Yeah, that's um, the only public one I can think of, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, goes into this woman's apartment and rips her tongue out. And it cuts to like this big butcher shop tongue, like it's a cow's tongue kind of thing. And so it's fucking huge. Like, I know your tongue goes back mm -hmm. quite a ways, but it's like... That is gigantic kind yeah. of thing. But anyway, it's an but infamous it's scene from visceral. it. it's very visceral. It's very like, oh, they did that. Well, another good example is the beach scene you're talking about mm -hmm. where um, this couple's making out on the beach. The dude is pressing his luck, being gross as, you know, cisette straight dudes. Cisette straight dudes. That's redundant. Cisette dudes in the these kind of movies. Like he's acting like that typical kind of like mm -hmm. macho male kind of thing. Um, he gets clubbed, and then uh, Fouad chops open the top of the lady's head, and then we see her with all the brains falling out. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, like, going around and getting, like, the awful from a butcher shop. And so it's gross, even if it is totally fake-looking. It still has, like you said, I think visceral is a good word for yeah, it. The literal viscera of these poor animals yeah. being repurposed. Well, the way I'm looking at it, if it's butcher shop meat kind of thing, is it's like, it's oh, dead. less of the animal going to waste. Like, it's an interesting use <laughs> of it. Like, it's not a survival it's thing. It's not mm -hmm. like that. But, yeah, no one, or at least these people weren't going and, like, having animals killed mm -hmm. just to get at their guts. They were yeah. getting the garbage well, thrown like away. The animal's already dead. Yeah. And, yeah, there's only so much, so many people 
around that eat shit like head cheese. Yeah. And tripe. <laughs> oh, head cheese. But so the investigation is going alongside these murders and they never seem to meet. But they get the call that there is a survivor. Mm-hmm. It was like face has been chopped off. Yeah, they go to the hospital and her face is bandaged up with blood through it. And uh, she, the only word they manage to get out of her before she dies is Itar. Itar. And the cop just goes, Itar. Okay. And just ignores it, even though he went yeah, and like, saw this huh. ish. Yeah, he he does. It doesn't even at this point seem like he's making a connection. It's no, just like it's not even registering. It's like, what does that mean? Oh well. Oh um, no, she must just be delirious. But this is after hearing about the fish, the fish of Ishtar, Jesus, the feast of Ishtar, um, lecture where the mo is the exact fucking same, mm-hmm. and there is no connection whatsoever. No. And even the lecture, I think he said he talks about how. Um, particular pharaoh outlawed the practice in whatever year but it is suspected that there are still followers of this brutal goddess yeah so you know there's... so it's even hinting that like maybe they're out there so if you like your serial killer investigation horror movies like if you like the like taut thrillers that really have you guessing who done it bloody feast isn't gonna fulfill mm-hmm. that for you Not it's um they don't they want to make sure that they're playing to to the person who's probably like sitting there not even watching the movie but like doing a crossword and only half paying attention they want to make sure that person gets what was going on Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) um so it's really spelled out but they they don't pick up on it no the police are fucking inept in this one it all comes to a head when uh the party happens so what happens at this party Oh, the feast is being prepared, and, and don't don't worry, madam. It, it's it's on its way. It's it it will be here in time. But um, I need I need the party girl, the the whatever the the person of celebration mm-hmm. to come with me and lay down on this table. Yeah, they go into the kitchen, and it's not even a table; it's just the kitchen it's a, counter. It's a kitchen yeah, <laughs> and yeah, he's talking about oh, we have to do the proper ritual. The you have to say certain words and do certain motions and stuff to make it authentically Egyptian. This yeah. this Ishtar feast, and she's even like, oh, you're not going to sacrifice me, are you? Yeah, she says you're not going to sacrifice me on this altar, are you? And it's like the kitchen like, counter is like, yeah, and he's just like sh- sh- shifty eyes aside, like. No. It's like, no, I would never do that. Of course not. <laughs> like, it's played so unsubtly. So cheesy. Um, but yeah, so close your eyes. Get on the counter. We're going to sacrifice you to... Stick your or, arms up to the heavens and... And say these words. Say these words about Ishtar. Which and... are in English. Yeah, 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 that was the thing that got me. It was like, <laughs> yeah. really? Yeah, so, so authentic. And like, she's having to repeat after him. Yeah, but... because she can't remember yeah, but it's just, like, in English. Uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, uh, they finally clue into Fouad Ramsey's being possibly connected and go to his place and find the a butchered woman on the table in his back room and just organs and blood everywhere. Like And this statue thing of Ishtar. Yes, the Ishtar statue that he's always... Pre- or, praying might even be a bit excessive he's always like just like ishtar soon i will raise you and we will we'll complete this feast in your honor what's that book he wrote oh well that yeah yeah because he did write a book that that was the one thing i love that you have this cop who's like yeah you know we don't really have any leads you know fuck 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 itar right yeah but i think there's something about a book 
but I don't know. It's, it's like, like what? It's like called like ancient rituals weird and weird ritual. cu- weird rituals of ancient cults or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like because I I don't know I didn't even make the connection. I guess maybe I wasn't paying enough attention that there was this book found at the crime scene. So he's just, he's just bringing up like I think there's a book. Well, that's but, what happens at the very end. And I was end, like, what? At the very end, he reveals that like. When he's spelling it out where it's like, uh, yes, uh, she said Etar. And for some reason, I couldn't quite connect it. But you know what an Egyptian history buff I am, or bug, as he yeah. calls it. <laughs> um, and then and then he drops the, oh, and every single victim had this book by this guy there. And it was like a book they had to write for that he would send them personally. And it's like, at no fucking point did they think, even just seeing this very eclectic book two times. Mm-hmm. Not even thinking that it's like there must be a pattern there, right? Because I even mean, like, could this be connected to the motive or the, like anything? Yeah, it's just. I, don't know, I guess we we've been spoiled by too many police shows. Well, I, I like I blame our love of Jallo. They don't always That's make true. sense, but it's the kind of thing where they just get so convoluted and all these twists coming out and of everywhere. And that was what's funny was there was almost a Jallo aspect to the, and I was kind of laughing about when he mentions offhand. He's like, I think there's a connection with a book, but. I can't quite put my finger on it. Kind of oh, that's that, like, very Jalo, right? Yeah. That that like almost like I there's a connection there, but I just can't see it. Or I think I remember something, but my memory is tricking me. Or there's you know there's something there's funny. something that's, at work I, here. I never thought of Blood Feast the Jalo. I like it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the birthday party, the party happens, and um, just as she is lying on the table, eyes closed, and Fawad's about to chop her with a machete. Uh, the mother comes in and is like, the, the guests are getting restless. What's taking? Oh, my God. Kind of thing. And um, they scream. And he runs and flees out the window when the cops roll up. Because they get there just in time. And we get this great chase scene where clearly, you know, no permits were used or whatever. Just these long uh, distance shots of him sort of hobbling away. Yeah, he inexplicably has a limp. They <laughs> showed it a bit earlier, but they don't really emphasize it or like... Put it in there. So for the chase scene, it's just a little like, wait, what kind of thing? But (laughs) he's running machete in hand or limping away down this motor court. And they chase him all the way to a dump, like a landfill. And he thinks, oh, I got to hide. So he climbs into the back of a garbage truck just as it's about to take off. And unfortunately for him, the garbage truck driver immediately. Trash compact. Yeah. Trash compacts them, yes. <laughs> and we get that wonderful, wonderful line where it's like, it looks like he had a fitting end to like the garbage that he was. <laughs> what happened? You just did this town a better service than... Than you'll ever know. Yeah, like, oh, man. I, th- I love how um, another one of those, those instances where the mom is just like, kind of question her priorities. Right. Because she's like, oh my God, like I just about witnessed my daughter being murdered. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Oh yeah, Fuad Ramsey's the killer. And then she's just like, "Oh well, I guess we're serving burgers." Like- <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely a goofy moment. I like to think that that was tongue firmly in cheek, but honestly, with how weird some of the line readings and some of the dialogue is, you can never truly tell with this mm-hmm. movie. Um, Keeps guessing. Yeah. But yeah, that is a blood feast. As for the controversy. How did you feel about this? Like, as a modern viewer? Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it feels kind of quaint. Yeah. And, I mean, even, like, in that documentary, like, Herschel Gordon-Lewis himself acknowledges that. He's like, well, yeah, by today's standards... And this would have been when, even when it was filming, because I believe he's passed since... 
he has passed quite recently yeah yeah. okay i couldn't remember if it was like within the last couple of years yeah that documentary we watched was from 2010 okay so like recently enough yeah so looking at it from a like this was the first of its kind and how hard they went Mm -hmm. when they really didn't have to but they, they did it for us it's like yeah it's uh i can see why uh people would have been upset I, I have to take my hat off to them on the fact that they, like you said, they really committed because they said, like, this was the first gore film. No one had done this before. Let's, um, normally when you hear that kind of thing, like when you say movie, it's like, well, it was the first kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Usually it's almost like a subdued version of what it's morphed into. And like, sure, this is no like torture porn level or mm-hmm. anything like that, but they didn't hold back. Like, they didn't. Like, yeah, all. they had got actual organs and they... Stuff like, like, you know, they could they could have just, like, splattered some blood around and yeah. been like, oh my god, it's so bloody. Like, yeah, like, that like, no, was they, they still... went to the, they took the next several steps, I would yeah. say. Yeah, like, when they uh, bust into his back room and the, the woman's face down on the table and you see, like, the body parts everywhere, mm-hmm. like, you can tell it's effects. Like, it's, it's, you can tell it was cheaply done, but, like, it really kind of hits you in the yeah, face. Yeah, so like, went there. Yeah. Well, this is, uh what he said at the top of the documentary talking about blood feast um this is herschel gordon lewis he said i've often compared blood feast to a walt whitman poem it was no good but it was the first of its kind (laughs) and it's one of those things where it's just like he kind of nails it on the head there Mm -hmm. yeah and and he even recognizes it he's like yeah you know this is by no means a masterpiece of cinema yeah i'm not gonna pretend it is it wasn't made with that intention or, and that wasn't even, like, an unintentional outcome that happened from it, right. but it is what it is. We did it, bitches. Like, like yeah. Hey, yeah, you did, man. And um, that's not to say that we're not trying to play this. This is, like, a totally quaint movie just to laugh at with nothing mm-hmm. else to it. It works really well as a great piece of schlock. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got that going for it. And uh, also as a curiosity of, you know, if you really like if you're a huge horror fan and you love getting into like the genre and love seeing where it started or just different the way it's grown and how it's differed over the years, this is kind of an important piece in mm-hmm. that thing. Absolutely. But as for how it was banned, like this was banned it was put on the list July fourth, nineteen eighty three. So that was just two days shy of its twentieth anniversary. Oh wow. So twenty yeah. years after the fact, what do you think um, of the fact that this was considered obscene to the point where it's prosecutable. This was one of the 39 prosecutable movies. Right. I'm thinking it might have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You know I, like, I mean, I guess I've seen some other video nasties where it's like, this was on the list. Are you fucking kidding yeah. me? And, when, and so, like, Blood Feast, definitely, I would say, if you compare it to, like, Argento's Inferno. Yeah. Yeah, Blood Feast gets that place over Inferno on that list, but I don't know. Yeah. It's... But then, yeah, you put Blood Feast next to, like, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, I was going to say, we recently watched Cannibal Holocaust. Or what I've heard about Cannibal Ferox and stuff like that. It's like, these aren't even in the same league. Yeah, there are um, some movies that were considered not prosecutable, because the 39... The true 39 are the ones that you could be prosecuted for selling this movie. They were mm-hmm. banned. And then the additional 33 is prosecution never went through, but the movies were still routinely confiscated right. and they're still part of the list. 
Um, the Beyond is on that list oh, of yeah. ones. Like, it was not prosecutable. Like, you, it was banned, but it wasn't part of these, uh, you better not sell this, buddy, or you are up shit's creek kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and The Beyond is outrageous compared to this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, The Beyond actually, I think, owes a lot of debt to Herschel Gordon Lewis, you know? <laughs> That sort of lingering camera where it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, let's just show everything and let's do everything. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's interesting that this caused such an uproar, um, but maybe because it is just so in your face. Yeah, it's like it. I could see it causing that level of uproar at the time that it came oh, out. Absolutely. But for it to be 20 years later, it's like, are you guys serious? Yeah. Like, okay, you've been asleep this whole time? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this is the oldest movie on mm-hmm. the list. Um, I think there's only a handful of movies even from before the 70s. And this one was early 60s, 60s yeah. be like a small handful. Yeah. Yeah, most of them were, well, I mean, the banning started in the 83, but most of them mm-hmm. were like the mid to late 70s into the early 80s even. Right. Yeah. I guess ultimately, would you recommend this one to horror fans? Yes, I would. Yeah, it's a good one, yeah. Yeah, it's, I would it's too. fun. Like, it's it's goofy, it's schlocky, it's cheap, but it's it's fun. Yeah, with the amount of people that I've actually been like, oh, you have to see Blood Feast mm. kind of thing, it's... Um, I, I would definitely recommend it. Mm. I think so, uh... Yeah, check it out. And, um... Otherwise, I suppose that's it for the first episode. Of, let us know what you think. Yeah, 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 um... Blood Feast is one of those things where the movie's so old and so notorious and it doesn't hinge on being surprised that I don't feel so bad spoiling yeah, that's the ending true. in this. But it's one of those things where it's like maybe that is something you don't want to hear mm-hmm. in these podcasts or maybe you do. Because uh, I know with Queer Horror Cult, we try to avoid spoilers as much as we can while still giving enough to talk about our topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had people tell me that they wish we got into the movies more. You like you you hold back too much to in the name of spoiler safety, you know. Um. So you know, let us know what you think, and uh, otherwise, the plan is to throw these up on our Patreon, and uh, you know, I'll intermittently like uh, drop a another one in the video nasty line, and we'll just keep going with those. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and yeah. Maybe tell us, um, tell us what horror flicks really fucked you up. Love to know. Yeah, you can uh, maybe get at us on a uh, queer horror cult. Uh, maybe throw a hashtag gutter flicks or something. And yeah, uh, we can start that. Yeah. All cool. right. Cool. Well, until next time. Take it easy and keep oh, it easy. I guess since it's queer horror cult, we can do and that. And it's like gutter flicks. Like, I think that applies just as much. That's true. Why? What were you going to say? I didn't have one. I was oh. just going to say, like, bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. Okay. Cool.